0: Greetings nerds. Just wanted to give you a trigger warning for this episode. We'll be talking about murder, suicide, rape, and infanticide, so please listen with care. Thanks!
1: Captain, our computer is picking up a strange signal.
2: I don't want any baloney, magic tricks, or psychological mumbo-jumbo.
1: Errors in time and space. It doesn't make any sense.
2: Greetings, liminards! Broadcasting to you from a location outside of time and space. This is Liminal Unlimited. I'm Cal Thatcher.
0: I'm Jenny Thatcher.
2: And we're back!
0: Yay! Did we go somewhere?
2: <laughs> we went to Skinwalker Ranch, yeah. epicenter of all things liminal and strange. Uh, coming off of our two-part Skinwalker Ranch episode, uh, where we did a crossover with a our our other family podcast, tangential family podcast, the Wellhouse Exorcism. Uh, Shanna and PJ, uh, they were dynamite guests on uh, our show.
1: Absolutely.
2: They brought the uh, research, they brought the history, they did what they do best, and they went deep while we skimmed the surface. (laughs) they
0: are so much better at this than we are.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They're so professional. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think that they're there for the... Their show is great for the hardcore, um, you know, dark history buff. People who want to get into, you know, trying to uh, figure out some psychological causes behind, you know, hauntings and these paranormal events where... You know, I say it time and time again, we're about the stories. We're about, you know, we want to figure some things out. We want to think about, but we want to think about possibilities.
0: Right. Not facts.
2: The what ifs.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: You know, uh, like the the famed Marvel comic book, What If, where everything goes topsy-turvy and you never know who's going to be the good guy, who's going to be the villain. What are their powers going to be? Are they going to flip-flop powers? What happens? We it, don't know.
0: It's Kyle. He's the villain. What? What? Or am I? <laughs> I don't know.
2: It's opposite day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rubber, you're glue. Uh <laughs> are you, four? No.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you sure? <laughs> Maybe. So, Jenny. Yes? Why don't you tell our two listeners what is the subject of the show today?
0: The Cecil Hotel.
2: Why did you say it? (laughs) It's in L.A. I
0: know. (laughs) When I I say Cecil, I have to have a southern accent. (laughs) We are talking about the Cecil Hotel, a.k.a. the Hotel Cecil.
2: A.k.a. Hotel Hell. (laughs) (laughs) Booga, booga, booga.
0: In Los Angeles,
2: California. I don't think you pronounced that correctly. No. So, why? Why are we looking into the Cecil Hotel?
0: Because?
2: We needed an episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A lot of weird, dark stuff has happened there, and we don't know why. Like, a, a disproportionately large number of unexplained deaths, suicides, murders, weird shit has happened there. And it just seems like... Uh, like it attracts people who are in a dark place or how bad things happen to them, and it's uh, it's very strange,
2: yeah. So, we are trying to figure out is this hotel itself a liminal space, right? Because you know, I tend to believe in that, I tend to believe. That there are places, just just like on the Wellhouse Exorcism, they would believe that there are places that draw spirit activity or draw negative spirit activity. I believe that there is something to the idea that certain places, certain locations, certain buildings can attract general negativity or are... A a gateway that exudes negativity mm-hmm. for any number of reasons. Some of that has to do with the past. Some of that has to do with the location. Uh, some of that possibly is just a strange crossover point where you know energy is spilling through from some negative realm some dark place
0: like in ghostbusters 2
2: yes yes just like there's a river there's a river of of negatively charged (laughs) slime
0: underneath the hotel you know i don't think
2: i don't think we're that far off
0: i mean really has anyone checked
2: (laughs) has anyone has anyone (laughs) gone down into the sewers under the cecil hotel and looked for the river of pink negatively charged I mean,
0: slime. I I'm just saying.
2: Get me Ray stands, <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> so, the Cecil Hotel. it's opens in 1924. And it costs the investors $1.5 million to build. Which... Would
0: be approximately $13 million today.
2: And at the time, ton of money. Um...
0: Seems like it should be more than that today. That's a giant building, and and a creepy looking building.
2: It is. It is. Uh, it. It's got what, seven hundred rooms. Mm-hmm. It's fourteen floors. Does not have a thirteenth floor. So the fourteen 15 floors. Fifteen floors.
0: Without a thirteenth, which is really fourteen. Yeah. But yes.
2: So, oddly enough, the 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 creep factor starts off right from the beginning because the year the cecil hotel opened there was an outbreak of pneumonic plague that's the bad one that's like a bubonic is bad enough Mm -hmm. bubonic is where you get the buboes under your armpits little 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 purple balls of black plague under your armpits from the bacteria pneumonic
0: and then some
2: pneumonic is the one that's like hot even hot more highly transmissible doesn't need the flea bite you just need to breathe it in from somebody that coughed with it so an outbreak of pneumonic oh plague hits the city of LA uh, spread by rats and squirrels squirrels people are finding like dead squirrels under their houses because here they didn't know the squirrels were getting into the walls and stuff in the attics and just spreading pneumonic plague to entire families that's nice and I mean, it, it was it was a, it was bad enough. I I don't know the exact death toll that it took, um, but there were like instances where like whole families died except for like one person. Mm-hmm. Right, it, it gutted some residences. Um. So right off the bat, you got a backdrop in the city of L.A. of the plague,
0: and well, the Great Depression's coming up.
2: And then yeah, the Great Depression is five years out, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that's when we're going to open this wonderful hotel. Yeah. Uh, so, can you do? You, can you tell us a little bit about the the hotel itself? Do you have anything on that?
0: Not really.
2: Okay, that's all me. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's all you, baby. So
2: the <laughs> hotel, like we said, it had 700 rooms, and it was set up. It was located specifically. They they picked that spot because there was the Pacific Electric Light Railway that had been put in just on the same block, just up the street. And the Pacific Electric Railway was like the trolley cars. Mm -hmm. So this was like the main hub. So anybody traveling through the city and people coming in from outside the city, the like buses and other trains coming in would drop off near the trolley station so then you could go to wherever you wanted in the city. Um, So they put it there thinking like, hey, we're going to get all these travelers that are going to come. We're going to have cheap rooms, low rates, and they'll come and they'll stay at the Cecil Hotel. And it was one of these like uh, kind of uh, mid-century, you know, had kind of the the nouveau style, you know, you walk into the lobby and it's one of these amazing lobbies. It's a deceptively amazing mm-hmm. lobby. Yeah.
0: The lobby looks good The lobby. <laughs>
2: Beautiful. The, the lobby looks like you're in the Biltmore, which is four blocks away, which is, you know, where the celebrities go, Bing Crosby and all those guys, you know, you walk in, you think you're, Oh, this is just like the Biltmore. Then you get up to the rooms and you realize, Oh my God, this is a <laughs> shithole. <laughs> The, room, the rooms were basically built to pack people in. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how they could boast 700 rooms, Yeah. was because they were trying to pack as many people into this hotel at a time as possible.
0: And it's set up so weirdly. It's like three separate buildings that are separated. So, like, if you're in one of the inner rooms and you look out your window, you're just looking into the window of the building opposite you like right there.
2: Yeah, yeah. And like the it's ends specific. don't have any windows. Like right. none of none of the rooms have a window like except unless you're in the very front of the building or the very back of the building. Yeah. You don't have a window out to the street. Right. You don't get to see a view. You don't get nothing, mm-hmm. right? Um so yeah, like we said within 5 years of opening, uh the Great Depression hits. And this hotel never Recovers from that. The the travelers drop, the guests disappear. All they're left with are people who are looking for long term cheap residents. You know they're paying like monthly, um, and then then basically it becomes a flop house.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know once 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 the the tourist traffic dries up. It just becomes a place for guys looking for a a place to to crash, to land. Um, Then, next thing thing, you know, it becomes a drug den. Um, I would describe it as... It's like an oubliette. It's Mm -hmm. like, this is a place people went to be forgotten. Yeah. Um, And, uh, it just so happens that it is basically right on the... The edge It's a cent- It becomes It's not in the center But it becomes a Focus Of what becomes Skid Row Which I it- love Skid Row Sebastian <laughs> Bach Man he was the best Yeah and Skid Row Is not I Alright 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 <laughs> <laughs> And Skid Row Is not the The fun Lively Uh Full of music, like you might think of from Little Shop of Horrors. Damn uh, Skid Row. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it becomes like the palace of Skid Row. Like, this is the nicest building <clears throat> in Skid Row. Um, and Skid Row is one of the most violent, dangerous, and porous neighborhoods in LA. It, it takes up 56 blocks of a section of downtown Los Angeles, there are between 8,000 to 10,000 estimated homeless that live in those 56 blocks.
0: a lot of blocks.
1: 56.
2: Well, and and here's the thing. It's not necessarily that they're all down there because uh, they want to be.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: They're down there in these 56 blocks in and around the Cecil Hotel because the the government, the, the city government of Los Angeles instituted what they called a policy of containment. So what they did was they made those 56 blocks a dumping ground, a quote-unquote dumping ground for criminals, the mentally ill, and the otherwise destitute. They literally will take you from prison put you in a cab, and tell them to drop you off in skid row when you get out of jail if you've got no place else to go
0: that doesn't sound like something the government would do
2: <laughs> yeah the 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 uh, the, the laPD <laughs> is all has always been known as a bastion of Humanitarianism. <laughs> so and, and literally they, they say that the police uh, form a human fence around Skid Row. They have cops posted on the streets in and out that lead in and out of Skid Row to make sure that that you know, I'm using air quote fingers element doesn't get out right. into the rest of the city. You know, if you if you try to leave Skid Row, if you try to come strolling out of Skid Row, you know, and you're homeless. You, you know, you maybe have uh, uh, your basket or whatever you're carrying your stuff in, and they see you walking out. They try to stop you, oh. and, and you know, figure out some reason to pick you up. You know, right.
0: the Cecil Hotel just happens to be right there.
2: It's right there.
0: It's cheap. Monthly and
2: weekly rates. Right. And so, so pretty much the Cecil Hotel becomes the place where people who are one step away from ending up on the street in Skid Row, this is where they go. You know, if they have a couple dollars to rub together to be able to pay for a night or a few nights. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if they if they maybe have a low enough paying job that they just can make like a monthly rent payment. That's where they'll go, you know, and, and before they end up out on the street somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and all kinds of craziness happens there. Um, there's a great Netflix documentary about... Uh, the cecil hotel where they talk in depth about uh things that happened on skid row but one of the things that happened to me they have a former police officer on there who talks about he was he was working the beat on skid row he said yeah he (laughs) he said it was the worst assignment in the lapd and uh, the one that stood out, the story that he told that stood out was that he saw a man. He approached it. They were having, there was a man who was causing problems, obvi- very obviously, profoundly mentally ill. And he watched this man proceed to pick up a pigeon off the street and eat the pigeon alive, oh. bit the head off, and devoured it.
0: It wasn't alive after he bit his head off.
2: Well, obviously not.
0: <laughs> but ill, ill.
2: So, yes. Yeah, so then, for for decades, decades upon decades, this place was known as a bit of a horror show. There's prostitution that happens down there. Human trafficking. Um, some of the long-term residents that live lived in the hotel, could be newly released convicts, registered sex offenders who can't live anywhere else, drug addicts, desperate people with nowhere else to go and very little means. And like we just said, they had numerous deaths uh, per year. There was uh, there would be stabbings and active manhunts going on in the building and the hotel's own manager wouldn't even know about it. You know, the hotel, hotel manager describes turning down a hallway and seeing an LAPD sniper with his rifle with the big scope on it in the hallway. And he tells her to get the hell out of there because they're going room to room to room searching for a suspect, a murder suspect. She didn't know the LAPD was even in the building. (laughs) Like this is how badly managed this place was and, and what a, an absolute horror show it was. Um, there were suicides, overdoses, murders. Um, I have, And one question that came to my mind, has the amount of death, sorrow, and despair turned the hotel into just one giant liminal space? It already is a physical liminal space. Mm-hmm. It's a place where people or travelers are coming or people coming from one you know, possibly good time in their life and going into a bad time of their life. There's yeah. change. This is a place of constant
0: hotels. In general, are liminal spaces, they're right? In your, that's not your destination. It's an in-between place, and they're kind of creepy but kind of cool.
2: So yeah, they they um, and I I remember I can't find my note, but I remember one of the residents was talking about like in the '80s. He lived there in the '80s, and he said you didn't go above the the sixth. I think it was the sixth floor. You know, he's like, yeah, I lived there a while, and he's like, if you wanted to get robbed and die, <laughs> you went up above the sixth floor. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. I mean, that's that, and this guy's literally living there. He's living, yeah. he's he's living and working and doing whatever, Yikes. and he's like, yeah, you don't go up above the sixth floor. So, as Jenny said, there is a a list of deaths and i found um wikipedia always a great resource they have a list of all the deaths and if you'll bear with me i'll go down through the the highlight reel of the the terrible things that happened in this hotel that that made uh, enough of impression to make the news and make you know local history there were other numerous things that happened there that, you know, never really got reported on or never made it into the milieu of, you know, the stories around the Cecil. As they said, overdoses, you know, somebody gets carted away and they die at the hospital. You know, that doesn't get necessarily tacked right. on to the Cecil's death count. So it starts, the, the very first death in the building um, that's on record is from January 22nd, 1927. Uh, A person by the name of Percy Ormond Cook, uh, according to this list, um, shot himself in the head while inside his hotel room after failing to reconcile with his wife and child. Uh, He was rushed to the receiving hospital in L.A. with a slim chance of survival, and he died the same evening. November 19th, 1931, W.K. Norton, a Manhattan Beach resident, was found dead in his room after ingesting poison capsules. A week prior, he had checked into the Cecil under the name James Willies from Chicago. September 1932, Benjamin Dodich, uh, gunshot to the head. A maid found Dodich with a self-inflicted gunshot wound He did not leave a suicide note. July 22nd, 1934, Sergeant Lewis Borden. This is one of the standouts because uh, he was a former, former Army Medical Corps and he was found dead in his room. He had slashed his throat with a razor and he left several notes, one of which cited poor health as the reason for his suicide. He literally slit his own throat with a knife or a razor blade. And then just sat there and bled out. March 1937, Grace E. Magro. Magro fell from a ninth-story window. Her fall was broken by telephone wires, which were wrapped around her body. She later died at the now-demolished Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. Police were unable to determine whether Margot's death was the result of an accident or suicide. January 1938, Roy Thompson falls from the building, suspected suicide. May 1939, Erwin C. Neblett. Navy officer Neblett was found dead in his room after ingesting poison. (laughs) January 1940, Dorothy Seeger. uh, A teacher, Seeger, who registered under the pseudonym Evelyn Brent, ingested poison on January 10, 1940, while staying at the Cecil, and was reported by the Los Angeles Times to be near death Beforehand, Seeger sent her relatives a note indicating she was going to end her life. Dorothy eventually succumbed to the effects of the poison and died at the general hospital. September 1944, Dorothy Jean Purcell. So Purcell was sharing a room at the Cecil with her boyfriend, a shoe salesman named Ben Levine, and Purcell uh, had apparently been completely unaware that she was pregnant. Um, It's like, you know, what you see on like Oprah or Dr. Phil. She, she had no idea and they get to the Cecil and she goes into labor and she doesn't want to wake her boyfriend for some reason hmm. and has the baby in the bathroom. Um, But when the baby, when she gives birth to the baby, the baby's not making any noise. She assumes it's dead that she's she didn't know she was pregnant so she thinks it's stillborn and she proceeds in some strange effort to hide this from the boyfriend i guess throws the baby out the window and the baby lands on the roof of an adjacent building God, purcell was charged with murder three psychiatrists testified that she was mentally confused at the time of the incident and so in January 1945, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Wow. It doesn't end there. November 1947, Robert Smith. Smith died after jumping from one of the Cecil's seventh floor windows. Floor number seven. That's a, that's yeah. a weird one. October 22nd, 1954, Helen Gurney. A San Francisco stationary firm employee jumped from the window of her seventh-floor room and landed on top of the Cecil's marquee. One week prior, she had registered at the hotel under the name Margaret Brown. February eleventh, nineteen sixty-two, Julia Frances Moore. Moore jumped from the window of her eighth-floor room and landed in a second-story interior light well. She died, not leaving a suicide note. Among her possessions were a bus ticket from St. Louis, fifty-nine cents in change, and an Illinois bank book showing a balance of eighteen hundred dollars. So that's the thing; she had money. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. And it's as if it's as if
2: she went to the Cecil Hotel Mm -hmm. to end it. Right. Why? It doesn't end there. October twelfth, nineteen sixty-two. Now, this is uh, one of the very well-known ones. There's a, it's a double death because Pauline Otten, 27, jumps from the window of her ninth floor room after an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. He had left the room and left her in the room, so she, in despair, distraught, climbs out the window and jumps. She lands on pedestrian, 65 year old pedestrian George Giannini, killing him instantly.
1: Oh, dang.
2: <laughs> when the cops arrive, they thought it was a double suicide. They thought they were like lovers who jumped together. That was the first take when they saw them. And then as detectives looked at the scene, they realized that George Giannini still had his hands in his pockets. Poor and they were like... Just
1: walking down the street. Yeah, they were
2: like, who the hell jumps out a window <laughs> with their hands in their pockets?
1: Right.
2: And that's when they realized she jumped and hit him Oy. on the sidewalk.
1: That sucks.
2: Crazy. June fourth, nineteen sixty four, Jacques Ellinger, uh, he kills, he he rapes and murd- rapes, beats and murders, Pigeon Goldie Osgood. This is one of the very famous mm-hmm. cases. Pigeon Goldie was sixty five. She got the name Pigeon Goldie because she used to walk down to the nearby uh, park and feed the pigeons. Uh, people saw her every day go in and out of the Cecil wearing her L.A. Dodgers ball cap and feed the pigeons. Um, hotel. A poor hotel worker discovered uh, her dead in her room. It was very obvious that there was foul play. Um, it was a horrible scene. Um, Ellinger was seen, hours after the murder, Ellinger was seen walking through Pershing Square in blood-stained clothing. He was... Arrested and charged with Osgood's murder, but was later cleared of the crime. Her murder remains unsolved. December 20th, 1975. Uh, Now this is in quotes, Allison Lowell. Because that's the name that they gave her. She's still unidentified. Jumped from the 12th floor window onto the Cecil's second floor roof. She had registered at the hotel on December 16th under the name... Allison Lowell, but nobody could confirm that that was her real name september 1st 1992 uh this is uh the body of an african-american man was found in the alley behind the cecil police said he had either fallen jumped or been pushed from the hotel's 15th floor that poor guy was never identified mm-hmm. uh, now we have the subject Uh, The second-to-last death at the Cecil is going to be the subject of part of our show, and that's, of course, Elisa Lamb, February 19th, 2013, uh, Elisa goes missing in the hotel and is eventually found, and we'll get into how she's found, because that in and of itself is super weird and super creepy. The last death to be recorded at the Cecil... Was as recent as June thirteenth, 2015 Uh, The body of a 28-year-old man Was found outside the hotel Some conjectured He may have committed suicide By jumping from the hotel Although a spokesperson for the county coroner Informed the Los Angeles Times That the cause of death had not been determined And that guy still remains unidentified Yikes And those are all the deaths
0: That we know of
2: That we know of ascribed directly to the Cecil Hotel. Um, So, leading into more recent times, in 2007, uh, the Cecil sold for $26 million as part of what was hoped to be a revitalization effort. Um, 80 long-term tenants, were they had 80 tenants that lived there on a monthly rental basis. Uh, They were going to be evicted And they were going to kick them out, and they were going to uh, renovate the hotel, uh, do a bunch of demolition and reconstruction. But there was a stop work order put in because they said if those people have been living there for however long, then that means that you have to be designated as a residential hotel. Any monthly renters had to remain uh, monthly rentals and only the vacant rooms could be used for nightly hotel rooms. Um, And then, of course, eventually they rebranded part of the hotel as what uh, today would be known as the Stay on Main, which that was only three floors of the hotel. Three floors of the hotel were renovated to be used as a youth hostel. So, and basically, this kind of was a very deceptive ploy by the owners of the hotel and by management to trick young travelers, especially foreign travelers, into coming and staying at the hotel. Like, hey, cheap hostel rates, come here, stay with us. They, they literally had a whole different entrance. You didn't go in the main Cecil Hotel entrance. You went in a different entrance, and it looked all fancy and ritzy and new, more like a Holiday Inn. And um, it was to disguise the the shithole that um, they would actually be staying in. And it was also a way to offset negative Google reviews hmm. that they had gotten from people who had stayed in the Cecil Hotel proper. Um, so if you looked up the, the stay on Main, it looked like this very nice joint. So... They basically redesignated the hotel. The floors two and three were residents. Four, five, and six were the stay on main hostel, and then seven through fourteen were still known as the Cecil Hotel. Um, but the most interesting part is the elevators were all common. <laughs> you were you would get on the elevators. You'd go there to stay in the youth hostel, and you'd go get on the elevator, and there'd be long term residents. There'd be Guys staying in the Cecil Hotel flophouse-style rooms, um, there was still a bit of a uh, dangerous, strange element. You know, s- staying at the hotel that you might run into, um, and basically, it left a lot of people open to possibly get victimized.
0: Should also note that a uh, couple of serial killers were. Known to stay Right At the Cecil Hotel Right So Richard Ramirez Also known as the Night Stalker um, He was an active serial killer From April 1984 to August 1985 Um, Less than a year and a half He murdered uh, no fewer than 38 people Ages 9 to 83 Um, All the way from Orange County to San Francisco and when he was operating in Los Angeles, he stayed at the Cecil Hotel, and he would um, even like just show up there, like covered in blood and dispose of his bloody clothes yeah. there, and nobody like batted an eye.
2: <laughs> yeah, there there were stories of him just literally walking up in just a pair of bloody underwear, and and that's that that's to give you a good idea of what this place was like. He he walked from the lobby up to his room in bloody underwear and nothing else, and no one said shit. Yep. That's that's just the shit that happens at the Cecil and you just roll with it.
0: Yep. And there's another serial killer, Jack Unterweger, who was an Austrian serial killer. He committed his first murder in Austria in 1974, was convicted and sentenced Um, and then he ended up, uh, in California, uh, as a journalist. Um, he, he wrote about the heinous murders of sex workers, just like the crime that had led to his conviction. In 1991, he checked into the Cecil to cover a story about street crime in Los Angeles. While he was there, three sex workers were attacked and killed. Very similarly to his previous murder.
2: After he went on a police ride-along and had the <laughs> cops point out to him where all the hookers strolled.
0: <laughs> and eventually they tied those murders back to him. So, um,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the the odd thing about the, the whole connection with Richard Ramirez, and I don't want to go to Zach Bagans on this whole thing, <laughs> but Richard Ramirez, it's confirmed he was a satanist he was into occult practices um you know he he drew pentagrams on his hands and you can say oh he might have been doing that just to freak people out i mean he literally some of his victims he would force them to swear to satan on things you know he would he would force them to pledge to satan you know as part of his crimes against them um but yeah, Richard Ramirez, uh, when he was convicted, he was convicted on 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. That's what he had under his belt. Um, I mean, he slept in a, in a cemetery as a kid to escape his abusive dad. Um, he, he was primed to be a serial killer. He had a cousin, Mike who was a Green Beret in Vietnam and would show Richard Polaroids of the Vietnamese women that he raped and murdered and dismembered in Vietnam. And then he witnessed his cousin Mike murder his own wife. Uh, Watched him shoot her in the face. Um, Then he (laughs) moves in with his sister Ruth and her husband is a peeping Tom who would take Richard around at night to his spots Where he would peep on women. Wow.
1: Um,
2: You know, and at the age of 14, he starts using LSD regularly. So he's tripped out of his gourd all the time. Not that LSD is a horrible drug in and of itself. I don't want to, you know, besmirch LSD. But when you take somebody like that, who's raised in that environment, and then you have them start hallucinating, and then he gets attracted to Satanism and occult practices, uh, you know, you're, you're basically boiling a pot of serial killer right there. The part that gets me is so you have Elisa Lam. And as we're going to get into that whole thing, Elisa Lam, uh, she's from Canada. She's Chinese Canadian. And oddly enough, Richard Ramirez's first confirmed murder victim was a nine year old girl named Mei Lung, who was a Chinese American girl. Uh, Who lived in the basement of his apartment building in San Francisco. Or that's where it happened. Uh, This was April 10th, 1984. So his first victim is a Chinese girl. In San Francisco. Who lived in the apartment building. He then stays in the Cecil. And a Chinese girl dies in the Cecil. And she dies the same year that he dies. He died four months after her death. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, he was on, on death row, but he died of like cancer hmm. before uh, his sentence was carried out. But he died the same year that she she did. Hmm. So that's a we're we're gonna get into the world of synchronicities on this one. Because yeah, there's a there's ton some of weird them.
1: ones, yeah.
2: And that that I feel is one of them. You have Richard Ramirez at this location where there's this very strange, very mysterious uh, disappearance and then uh, death discovered of a Chinese girl staying there. Um, And then there's this weird kind of mirroring of... Mm -hmm. So he lived there. She dies there. He lived in an apartment building in San Francisco where he murders a Chinese girl in the basement and then Elisa Lamb dies, and then four months later he dies. It, it's just that's not I'm not gonna sit here and say, ooh, that's weird occult stuff. Again, I'm not gonna totally Zach Bagans it, but it's odd. It's odd. Yeah. it's odd. And then uh Yeah, and the Jack Unterweger thing is really uh kind of off the wall. This guy, I did a little bit of a deep dive on on old Jack. And this guy committed murders in Austria, West Germany, and what was then Czechoslovakia. Between 1966 to 1974, he spends a lot of time in jail uh, for theft, pimping, sexual assaults on sex workers. In 1974, he murders an 18-year-old girl, strangles her with her own bra, Uh, He's convicted in 76, sentenced to life in prison. Now, for our listeners, our American listeners, life in prison in places like Austria doesn't mean what it means here. Life in prison in Austria, like for what's considered a, you know, first offense, even a murder, uh, you do have a possibility of parole. Um, So while he's in prison for that, he begins writing short stories, poems, plays, he pens an autobiography and he starts to get a little famous. And so some some literary elites start to think that, oh, this is a sign that he's rehabilitated. They start trying to petition to get him let out. Uh, but the judge keeps him in there till 1990 because there's a 15 year required minimum that you have to spend before you can get paroled on a life sentence. Um, he leaves prison like as a celebrity um, he he's become famous for this autobiography, so he 's offered jobs when he gets out of prison he 's offered jobs as a television host and a journalist <laughs> and in ninety one an Austrian magazine hires him to do the piece about Los Angeles, and uh one of the specific directions of the piece is supposed to be the difference between u.s versus european attitudes on prostitution and at the same time he's leaving for the u.s unbeknownst to many he's already a suspect in eight murders that took place within the first year he got out of prison on the life sentence um all of the victims of the eight murders, all strangled with their bras, just like the one that he got convicted for.
0: And he's just a suspect?
2: Just, just a suspect. They
0: haven't, like, arrested
2: him? Well, another thing is the requirements in, in many European countries is more strict about mm. what you what evidence you need to have to take it to That's court. That's true. And the, the police didn't feel they had enough. I
1: guess.
2: Um, but they were still pursuing it. So yeah, he he get he meets with LAPD officers. He goes on ride-alongs. Mm. Uh, you know they po- they point out all the strolls <laughs> so where for do him. You
1: keep all the prostitutes?
2: And so during his stay at the Cecil, <laughs> three prostitutes are found beaten, raped, and strangled with their own bras. Oh my goodness. Um, so then eventually he finds out that he's in trouble. He goes on the run, and he bounces around to a couple different countries. Eventually, being captured in Miami, Florida. And he gets extradited back to Austria. He gets found guilty of nine of the 11 murders he was charged with. Because in Austria, e- even if you commit murders in other countries, they can try you there oh, well. for those murders. So he was charged with the three murders from L.A. Oh, that's convenient. Um, so he gets sentenced to life. But now, because this is now his second murder conviction, it's life without...
0: It's life-life.
2: It's life-life. It's ultra life. Um, so when faced with an actual life prison sentence, uh, Jack does what most shitheads do. He hangs himself that night at the prison <laughs> with a rope with made his of, own bra <laughs> with a rope made of shoelaces and a cord from a, a pair of pants from a tracksuit, and he uses the same knot because he used to fashion a slip knot in the bras when he would strangle these women so that he could, this is the really sick part, he could release the tension to let them come back from the edge and then he would strangle them some more. So he used the same knot on the the homemade rope that he hanged himself with.
0: What a guy.
2: So, again, I mean, you can say like, well, yeah, you know, many serial killers... Tend to like to kind of hide out in places where people can easily get forgotten. You know, where right. where people don't look at faces. They don't want to know. They don't want to see. They don't want to remember. I, I hey, I got nothing to do with that. Yep. I don't know no. I don't know nobody. You know. Uh, however, the idea that that these two people, you know, would specifically be drawn to this place um, you know it's kind of odd it is kind of odd
1: for sure that
2: doesn't happen a lot having two serial killers having stayed in the same
0: that we know of
2: the same location um, so it's just, it's you know, we're just kind of building the environment here. We're, we are taking a little page from our buddies at Wellhouse, <laughs> you know, doing a little bit of a deeper dive yeah, on this look
0: stuff. Look Be- with our history and dates and right. facts.
2: I feel, uh, all of a sudden I feel like a true crime podcaster.
1: Yeah.
2: But when you're talking about a location like this, where in and of itself it feels like this weird gateway to, like, Darker places, you gotta talk about the dark crap that happens there, and the dark people that seem to be attracted to it. Um, so, we're gonna we're we're gonna get into it a little bit.
0: Let's get after it
2: now. Before we get into Elisa Lamb, do we want to talk about the Black Dahlia connection?
0: Well, sure.
2: Okay, so the Black Dahlia is one of the most famous. In famous true crime stories, there has almost ever been American true crime, especially um, Elizabeth Short. Poor Elizabeth Short. She was 22 years old, and um, she was nicknamed by the press the Black Dahlia uh, because she had a she had very dark black hair, but she also had a penchant for wearing uh, uh, black clothing you know, kind of sheer black dresses and things. And, you know, uh, she was uh, she was a young girl living in L.A., living in Hollywood, you know, waitressing, maybe trying to get something going, make a name for herself. She loved movies. Um, so she wore this clothing to kind of maybe stand out a little bit. And she also supposedly, reportedly loved the movie that was out at the time, The Blue Dahlia. So the press, when they got a hold of some of this stuff, they dubbed her the Black Dahlia, and that's how most people know her now. Uh, so in Jan on January fifteenth in nineteen forty seven, a mother and her child just taking a walk in a in a at a nearby park uh, discover the body of Elizabeth, and this is this is one of the reasons why it stands out so much, Elizabeth has been sliced cleanly in half at the waist and she's just a few feet off the sidewalk in some slightly tall grass and not only that I mean she's been mutilated in various ways the thing that stands out is the cut in half like a magician's assistant and they've given her the they've cut her across the the mouth to give her that that smile you know, ear to ear. Um. And yeah, so the mother, I mean, it's not something you expect, you know, to... I, yeah, Lucy! Lucy's in oh rare goodness. form. Lucy's in rare form to, tonight. Uh, you don't expect to see that. So the mother initially thinks it's a mannequin. She thinks these are two halves of a mannequin when she sees them. Um. Another part that stands out is that there is not one drop of blood, which right away lets the detectives that come on the scene know that this girl probably was not killed here. She was actually identified within only 56 minutes because there was a new technology where they were able to take pictures of her fingerprints on the scene and send them directly to the FBI in Washington and her fingerprints were on file for uh one was for a job she applied for and she also had a minor arrest for uh like drunken in public or something (laughs) and so the the feds literally were like that's a like within an hour they were like that's elizabeth short (laughs) so she was one of the lucky ones who got identified right away in that sense lucky in that sense a lot of people real lucky a lot of people go unidentified nobody ever knows you know their, their families never know um Many suspects have been named over the years. There's a lot of different going theories. Some recent ones are actually kind of good ones. But technically, according to the FBI, the murder is still unsolved. Um, now, what here's... doctor. <laughs> yes. Totally. So, here's where the connection comes in. She has been rumored to have been seen exiting the Cecil Hotel the day that she would have died um
0: i thought it was a few days before
2: well it's the it would have been her the the last time anybody saw her because oh, no okay. her, her friends no one she never went back home none of her friends heard from her after that so this would have been uh yeah she was found days after the mm-hmm. sighting but that's the thing is they think somebody took her and held her somewhere mm-hmm. and did all this stuff to her um now it was—it's rumor and conjecture that this actually happened. However, um, a, a kind of boyfriend of hers, a married guy named Robert Red Manley, what a name, <laughs> Red Manley—he uh, confirmed that they had taken a trip together to San Diego, and he had brought her back that day. And she asked to be dropped off downtown. She actually lived on the uh, across town. Um, it's about a 10-minute drive, but it's a, a, across town. She lived in Hol- up in Hollywood. Um, she actually lived at... Uh, where was it? She lived at the uh, in an apartment behind the Florentine Gardens on Hollywood Boulevard. But she asked him to drop her off downtown at the Biltmore. So he drops her off, and she says, uh, My sister's in town from Boston and I want to visit, I'm going to see her. So, she specifically asked to be dropped off downtown to see her sister. Um, Staff at the Biltmore claim they saw a woman uh, with her description using the lobby telephone and then leaving. Then she's reported, about two and a half blocks away, being seen by some patrons of the Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge. Uh, which is just two and a half blocks south of the Biltmore. To, To give you perspective, the Cecil Hotel is only four blocks to the east of the Biltmore and the Crown Grill. So this is all within walking distance in downtown. Now, the reason I get into this is because the Shorts, as a family, weren't made of money. Um, These were all people of very uh, low to median means. So, if she's got a sister coming into town from Boston, that's where she was from, originally was Boston. If her sister's coming in town to visit, they're not made of money. Uh, Elizabeth is a waitress uh, by day, so it's not like she's taking in a lot of money to to put her, her sister up somewhere nice or whatnot. Where might her sister stay? Her,
0: The Cecil Hotel. The Cecil
2: Hotel. Now, that's not been confirmed by anybody. Uh, it's possible. It's just conjecture. It's just a theory. But is it possible that her sister, coming into town from Boston, is looking for a cheap place to stay? She's only going to be there one or two nights. And so she stays at the Cecil, where the rates are low. And so Elizabeth is going downtown... Completely in the opposite direction from where her apartment is to go see her sister. And maybe it might make sense that she might be at the Cecil that day. So the reason this all comes up is because there was an LAPD, a female LAPD officer, uh, Meryl McBride, who reports encountering a young woman leaving a bar on Main Street, which is where the Cecil is located. In distress, claiming someone had threatened to kill her. This is where it gets kind of kind of soupy, kind of murky, because McBride doesn't clearly identify Short as the girl that she saw, and also doesn't seem to remember which bar it was.
0: And what, I guess didn't do anything about her. And, claim appara- of and being apparently threatened? didn't
2: do anything other than like kind of eh, report it later when she got back to the precinct or whatnot. So. I'm not sure Take what her Mac- name, I'm not sure what McBride was doing <laughs> down there. Maybe McBride was down at a bar, you know, tipping a few back. Who knows? You know,
0: they had female police officers back then.
2: Well, she pr- she may have worked at the precinct in some capacity, mm-hmm. um, but could the bar have been the bar at the Cecil? You know. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, it, uh, even in 1947, the Cecil was known as a as a rough place. What other reason would she have to be down that way, right on the edge of Skid Row, um, if her sister wasn't staying somewhere in that area, you know? And it would make sense because that's where the rail stations would come in. So her sister getting off a train, you know, from Boston might get off there. Hey, I I I got a room at the Cecil. Why don't you come meet me? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, again, an, another kind of strange incident that's possibly tied to the Cecil. Nobody's nobody's for sure.
0: I think it happened. I believe
1: it. Yeah? Yeah, why not?
2: <laughs> so, that kind of brings us to the most creepy, strange, um, odd occurrence of them all. And that would be the strange and horrible case of Elisa Lam. So, honey, this, uh, this has been the thing that you've been obsessed with. A little bit. About yeah. the Cecil Hotel. So, mm-hmm. why don't you tell everybody the strange case of Elisa Lam.
0: Okay. Well, Elisa Lam was a 21-year-old college student from Canada, Vancouver to be exact. Her parents were immigrants from Hong Kong. Her Chinese name was Lam Ho Yi. Hoi Yi? Lam Hoi Yi. Um, and she wanted to travel on her own. Wanted to see the west coast of the United States. So she started in San Diego and made her way up to LA. Um, now she did have a history of bipolar disorder, depression. She had been taking medications for those she did not have a history of suicidal ideations but she did have a history of not taking her medications and several times wound up having hallucinations and at one point at least one point was hospitalized for that so something to take into consideration
2: right as we've mentioned before you know that's something that maybe a lot of people don't realize is that bipolar disorder can, in extreme cases, cause hallucinatory mm-hmm. effects.
0: Definitely. So she checked into the Cecil Hotel on January 28th of 2013, and she was going to be staying for four days. Um, originally, she had checked into one of the, um, kind of like a hostel-type room, like a group bunk on the Stay on Main part of the hotel, where it would be, you know, you would, kind of bunk with other strangers for a cheap rate so she was there with a few other girls that she didn't know and they had actually complained to the hotel because she was acting strangely Um, so they ended up moving her to her own room um
2: so she was one of these poor people who was tricked (laughs) by the stay on main part of the business to Come stay in the Come, Cecil Hotel. Yeah, exactly. Come stay with us in the heart of darkness.
0: <laughs> it's fun. And it looked pretty fun. Like, it looked nice. Like, bright orange furniture. And it looked kind of snazzy from the pictures.
1: <laughs> and it was
0: cheap. So, you know, it was good for a college student who's traveling. Or so it seemed. Um, so she was only going to be staying for four days. Um, checking out on February 1st. Which is the day she was reported missing. Uh, The last time she spoke with her family was the day before on January 31st. She would talk to them every day on the phone. And when they didn't hear from her, they reported her missing on February 1st. Now, so, you know, if you check out of a hotel and you leave belongings behind, typically they, you know, will clear the room out and hang on to that stuff. And if you don't claim it within a certain period of time, they'll get rid of it, whatever. So, she doesn't check out And they go up to the room, and here she has her laptop there, her medications are there, her wallet, clothes, passport, everything. And the hotel just says, oh, that's normal, and bags it all up. Like, I think it's a little sketchy. I mean, it's one thing if you leave behind a shirt or a wallet or something, but if someone does not check out and all of their stuff is there you don't think maybe that's a little suspicious
2: yeah and this is this is something that eventually um, when we get to the end of this i want to talk about because um it it's it's part of a trend at this hotel mm-hmm. um of just not giving a shit there there is there is an apathy that hangs that that hung that over that place hung over that place <laughs> I'm too into the su- talking about the suicides. Um, it, it hung over that place uh, seemingly more so than many others. Mm-hmm. Um, it's as if the staff, the hotel staff, uh, almost took on the uh, mentality of prison guards. Like I, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't care as long as it doesn't involve me.
1: Right.
2: You know, so when a, a girl disappears and all her craps in the room. They treat this like the, just any other day, just any other day, you know, even though most people trying to skip out on a bill don't just leave all of their shit. Yeah,
0: right?
2: They usually try and take everything take and sneak yeah. out. Right, exactly.
0: you know? uh, the room was messy, but it didn't, you know, it wasn't suspicious looking like there had been a struggle or anything like that. Um, she was last seen, um, in the hotel in an area where guests shouldn't be, so they asked her to leave, and she was last seen walking to the elevators. Um, on February 13th, the police released a video of her in the elevator. And this is one part of the weirdness, because she's acting very oddly in this elevator. This
2: is where the weird shit starts.
0: Yes. So she is in this elevator. She's pushing like all these buttons, um, poking her head out of the door. The elevator door, the elevator's not moving. and The door stays open for like two minutes. And she's, it looks like she might be talking to someone. She's gesturing with her hands. Um, She steps out. She goes back in. Again, the doors never close. Um, At one point she's standing by the left Side of the, the door. Gesturing with her hands. Like she's talking to someone. But you don't see anyone else in the video. Um, and then she... Does she walk off? We don't see... The, yeah, that? she, yeah, mo- she yeah, she moves off. out
2: of the... Because all you can see is the, the door of the elevator. Just that part of the hallway in front of it. Yeah. And then the panel of the buttons and things from the camera view. And so when she steps out, she steps to... What would be, to the camera's perspective, she steps to the left mm-hmm. and then you and never doors see her stay again. open
0: for a little while longer and then yeah, the they door... close and then yeah. it goes back to normal operation. Um, at one point, she's like hiding in the corner of the elevator, like she's hiding from someone. So it's really. yeah, she like, strange. Sl- yeah,
2: yeah, she like slides down the wall. Yeah. like she it's not even just like a person just standing there waiting for the elevator to react like if you were staying there you'd be like staying there like looking at the lights looking at the buttons looking looking mm-hmm. at the numbers and then like all right come on you know right. but she's not even like doing that she's like literally back in the corner then slides down the wall you know it 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 really is some um some truly truly uh odd behavior that um that could coincide with uh, a bout with mental illness, um, but I mean, again, going back to the hotel, like they've asked her to leave, so she's going to go back up to ideally clean out her stuff and get going, mm-hmm. and then she just never comes back down, and they're like, <laughs> "Oh well, yeah, <laughs> yeah,"
0: so and they and they
2: and they don't bother, they don't bother to check any of the video either, so they, you know,
0: right, right, like. And the people who watch the video have noticed some weird things, like it slowed down a little bit, and the timestamp is blurred out, and that could be the police did that just to make it easier to see what's going on, and so, you know, they don't show the exact time that this is happening because they were doing an investigation. But it looks like part of it might have been cut out, so maybe there was someone else in the video that they cut out of it. Um, so, yeah, was she hallucinating? Was she seeing... Another person that we don't see on the video Or was she seeing Something that you can't see on the video We don't know Um, Another theory Is that she could have been Playing something called The elevator game And
2: and this is where we get into Our wheelhouse (laughs) With liminal spaces
0: That's right So the elevator game Is a game that is rumored to have Originated in uh, maybe Korea, maybe Japan, something. But it's a game you play to try and jump into an alternate dimension.
2: Which, I mean, can only somehow be the work of, you know, like Koreans or something. Because, (laughs) yeah, if if you've watched any Korean horror films, or Japanese horror for that matter, like, it's all about people... Doing things they shouldn't be doing or going places they shouldn't be going, yes. and and getting getting in deep deep trouble for it.
0: Yes. So the game involves. It has to be a building with at least ten stories. You go to the elevator. Call the elevator, and you have to do these things in a certain order. I won't go through all the steps. But
2: yeah, we don't. We honestly like. It, I mean, it's, it's it's probably ridiculous. just a it's probably it's just ridiculous. a dumb yeah. like a dumb teenager urban legend style game. Right. However, I I wouldn't do it and I wouldn't recommend anybody else do it. <laughs> I
0: mean just in case. Just in case. So Our old o- our old
2: pal, just in <laughs> just case. In case.
0: <laughs> so you push the button for the fourth floor, don't get out, then the second floor, the sixth floor, second floor again, the tenth floor. Fifth floor.
2: All right, you're literally okay. going through telling them how no, to do I mean, it now. Okay.
0: <laughs> Something like that. I skipped a couple. So, when you reach the fifth floor, a young woman may enter the elevator. Do not look at her. Do not speak to her. She is not what she seems. Don't get out. Go to the first floor. At this point, one of two things will happen the elevator will begin descending to the first floor, or it will begin ascending to the tenth floor. If it goes down to the first floor, the ritual failed. Um, Exit. Do not look back. Don't talk to anybody. Exit the building and don't look back. It didn't work. If it goes to the 10th floor, the ritual has succeeded. And allegedly, you will step out into an alternate dimension. Um, so it will, you know, look the same. Uh, something some things may be different, but I don't know. You're in a di- another dimension. I don't know how you get back to your own dimension, but that's what happens.
2: Yeah, it's always amazing when the directions don't tell you <laughs> how how to reverse the curse. Yeah.
0: So there, you know, some people have said, "Oh, maybe that's what she was doing. Maybe she entered an alternate dimension."
2: Or playing some variation of because or, yeah, because maybe. she she does specifically press all of the buttons in the middle of the panel first. Mm-hmm. Like before she does it, presses anything else or does any of this weird other behavior, she presses every single button in a line down that panel.
1: Yeah.
2: In the, now, in she the also may have middle. pressed
0: the hold elevator button, which will hold the elevator and keep the door open for like two minutes. Yeah, because a lot so, of people made hay
2: about that. How, yeah. and, and I know I did when I first saw the video. Um, it, it, it's extremely odd how long the door stays open. It, it's, it's, it's very odd, very disconcerting. The majority of elevators in, in the U.S. don't behave like that. Yeah. Uh, most elevators, and I'm not sure when that specific elevator system was put in. I don't know if that was from the very beginning. I don't know how often they've had it revamped. But the majority of elevators in the United States, you have to... They move quick. They move quick, (laughs) and you have to press and hold the door open button Mm -hmm. to keep the door open. You have to keep your finger on it.
0: So this was, again, February 1st, she went missing. February 13th, they put this video out of her in the elevator. February 19th, guests are complaining uh, about the water. (laughs)
2: And this is the part that that makes my skin crawl Uh,
0: Low water pressure The water is kind of like blackish brown And doesn't smell very good uh, Doesn't taste very good And so Has a
2: sickly sour sweet taste According to one of the the tenants That was staying at the The um, at the hotel yeah. from from britain
0: so the hotel says okay we'll send our poor maintenance guy up to check things out so he goes up to the roof where the yeah
2: poor i want to i want to i don't remember exactly i want to say his name was guillermo something like but, that but yeah. yeah poor guillermo's got to <laughs> go up
0: uh so he goes up to the roof where the water tanks are and
2: which there are four of them. There are
0: four of them. And now the police have checked the roof. Like I think they had dogs that tracked her sent to the
2: roof. Yeah, it's like it's like they tracked her sent to the roof. Yeah, and because then, because there's been an active before this oh the, yeah, they've been the looking police, all over for The her. police were on the case. The police um in the initial investigation they had like eighteen detectives. Because this was big. This was actually a big um, missing because with that video, okay. especially when they saw that video, they um, they the police were like, "Wait a second, where is this girl?" Mm-hmm. So they had like 18 detectives originally working this thing, and yeah, they were taking dogs around.
0: They tracked her sent to the window that opened to the fire escape, right, so, right, which goes up. But I don't know, so I don't know. They were they looked on the roof. I don't know how they missed this, but Guillermo or whatever his name is. Uh, Looks in one of the water tanks and finds the body of a female floating in the tank. Um, She's nude, but her clothes are in the tank. Now, when the police get there, the lid is closed. It's like a 20-pound lid to this water tank. And it's like, how would she be able to close that on her own? You know, if she somehow got herself in the tank and then took her clothes off how could she do that but the maintenance guy he seems to say that it was open when he when he found her which is like okay how did the police miss that open water tank when they were up there but whatever so it turns out to be her she's been in the water tank probably since january 31st february 1st and that's that was the problem with the water.
2: And how many days was that that she was in the, in the tank? From...
0: 18 19.
2: So she days. is she is heavily
0: severe decomp.
2: Heavily happening. decomposed. Yes. And and I won't get into specifics, but I mean um, in my youth I did some reading up on uh, forensics and um, you know that when they bring in the uh, forensic paleontologists and things like that and the descriptions of how bodies uh, appear, how they present when they've oh. been in water for a length of time is absolutely horrific stuff. Um, God forbid you ever have to find a dead body anywhere, but in water, in water is about bad. the worst. I mean, yeah. um, I'll touch upon just the fact that... Uh, they talk about in the literature, you have to very carefully extract the bodies from the water because if you were to try to pull on a limb, you would literally strip the skin. You would deglove whatever limb you were trying to pull on because that's how the, the skin literally gets, uh, the, the skin separates from the muscle tissue and becomes completely loose and you can very easily just take the whole all the skin off of an entire limb um, if you're not careful so imagine she's been in there for days and days and days and not only that but the decomp fluids that's what's that's what's tainting the water in the building mm-hmm. is the decomp fluids that are coming out of her body are getting into the water and people are drinking it i don't know how people didn't get sick
0: oh i know it's uh ugh, it's horrific it's it's awful ugh horrible. So the question is, you know, was there foul play? Did someone kill her and then put her in this water tank? Did she commit suicide and, you know, somehow get in this tank? Um, was she hallucinating? Was she hiding from someone? How did she get in this tank? Um, there is an alarm that goes off when you go up onto the roof through the main doorway and that did not go off, apparently, according to the hotel. But, like I said, the dogs tracked her scent to this window with the fire escape, so if she had climbed up that, the alarm wouldn't have gone off. It's, I don't know, it seems like a bit of a stretch to me that this girl is hallucinating and climbs up this fire escape to the roof, climbs up this water tank, you know, opens the lid on her own, takes her clothes off, gets herself in there. It's just, it's it's strange, I mean, it's possible and it seems the most likely scenario but it's just it's hard to swallow um,
2: as was the water in the building oh god i need oh, thank you <laughs> I need <this>. um
0: <sighs> but uh, they they did um, you know an autopsy they did a toxicology screen there were no drugs or alcohol in her system they did find one antidepressant but no antipsychotic medication so she clearly had not been taking her medication yeah in the days leading up to this so that could have contributed to it um ultimately they ruled her death as what accidental yeah possibly accidental suicide. drowning yeah accidental drowning um
1: you know, and it's it weird. Of, it's it,
2: weird. Well, and that's another thing. It kind of flip flop back and forth. They, mm-hmm. The the coroner, it's accidental, then it's undetermined, then it's accidental. It's like, yeah. a, a, you know.
0: Now, there is another conspiracy theory, which I don't put any stock in, but it's weird. that. Uh, so, what happened is there was a tuberculosis outbreak in and around the hotel at the time she went missing. So, there are some people who feel like, you know, she was sent to LA to test this new medication for tuberculosis, which was what caused her strange behavior. Or maybe she was a biological weapon sent to LA to spread TB and she was silenced for knowing too much. Um, But two weird coincidences. So she studied at the university of Columbia. Yeah. University of Columbia, which has a well-known tuberculosis research center and get this, the test used at the time to detect tuberculosis, was called the Lamb elisa test.
2: Now, I will say, in the world of synchronicities, and, and this, this story is full of them. This story is full of synchronicities. For real, but I don't put any stock in the in the biological weapons. No, not at all. But is that
0: weird? Her name's Elisa Lam, and the TB test is Lam Elisa, well, and there's a TB outbreak
2: and that at the t- same time. That to me is where this particular story of the Cecil Hotel begins to meander into a bit of high strangeness
1: mm-hmm.
2: because you have. Elisa Lamb, staying in the Cecil Hotel she begins to have whether it's her mental illness kicking up or whatever, she begins to suffer from some kind of mental aberration whether that's caused by something supernatural, whether it's she's playing this elevator game or whatever
0: or most likely she's not taking her medications properly, she's not taking
2: her meds and ends up inexplicably going to the roof and dropping herself into one of these water tanks. Um, you know, unless, you, unless you're one of the people that believes that it was somehow some foul play that the cops never detected. Um, and, and dies this horrible death. And then there's these weird synchronicities. She goes to a school. She, you know, she was going to a college that has this uh, program that, you know, this that that uh, has a whole tuberculosis, you know, uh, disease center. Um, the the test for the tuberculosis has her name first and last name both for her first and last name, but backwards. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> then she's. Uh, again, there's the bit of a loose synchronicity with Richard Ramirez has stayed in the hotel uh they He dies the same year she does, and meanwhile his first victim was a a Chinese girl uh in his apartment building in San Francisco. Um, all these weird things start to happen um that start to make these strange. it's like it's like a web starts to go out. these strange. Uh, ties to all these different aspects and then it gets weirder because then you have the 2005 film Dark Water which 2005 Elisa Lam dies in 2013 and Dark Water for, for anybody that hasn't seen it it stars Jennifer Connelly.
1: Love her. We um, just watched this last
2: We just watched so. it because we had we felt we had to watch it to know what was going on. It stars Jennifer Connelly. She is a...
0: grace Scott. <laughs>
2: she's, she's the mother of a, a young daughter. She's in the midst of a contentious divorce. And because of the divorce and everything and trying to... Uh, she's trying desperately to do right by her daughter, but no longer has the means to really live in the best places or whatever. So she's forced to get an apartment in a real dump of a building. Uh, It's set on Roosevelt Island in New York. And here's where the the strangeness, the synchronicity starts from the get-go. So part of the reason we bring up Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, is not just because she possibly, maybe, perhaps, was at the Cecil Hotel the day that she went missing. It's because Jennifer Connelly's character's name in Dark Water is Dahlia. And...
0: Her daughter's name...
2: Her her daughter's name is Cecilia and they move into a shithole of a building, full of a bunch of questionable people. <laughs> and what is on the roof?
0: Water tank.
2: A water tank.
0: And there's black, mur- brown, murky, dark water seeping it, through the ceiling.
2: Right, right. It's it's We're coming lit- out of the pipes. And it's got it's got a strange, creepy elevator
1: mm-hmm. that
2: when Jennifer Connelly's character Dahlia is in the elevator. The first time she's in the elevator by herself, she feels some sort of a presence, and her hands begin making odd movements. And the the front desk guy is watching her on the camera because the camera in the movie has the exact same camera perspective of the elevator as the camera in the elevator in the Cecil Hotel. And the front desk guy's watching her and she's making these odd hand movements because to her, you can tell it feels as if somebody's taking her by the hand. Somebody's grabbing her pinky finger like a small child might. And But she's making these weird hand movements. Just like Elisa Lam in the elevator video. Not only that, her daughter Cecilia, when they first get to the building is wearing a red coat and Elisa Lam if you watch the video and it's kind of infamous now like like people uh seem to notice like it's kind of somewhat iconic for the story Elisa Lam is wearing a red uh, zip-up hooded sweatshirt in the elevator video Um, and you've got nasty brown water there's stuff coming out of the faucets um and long story short you come to find out spoiler there's spoiler alert spoiler alert yeah if you if you haven't seen the 2005 film Dark Water <laughs> uh skip ahead um <laughs>
0: although you kind of know where it's going yeah. like it's really not
2: here a surprise. this there paranormal things begin happening and it's all being caused by the ghost of a little girl who apparently resided uh, used to reside in the apartment above theirs. This little girl, when you see her, she's also wearing a red coat. And guess Je- where they? Well, and Jennifer Connolly and her daughter Cecilia and the little ghost girl also all have long, straight black hair, mm-hmm. just like Elisa Lamb. Mm-hmm. And come to find out, long story short, too late. <laughs> the little girl is dead in the water tower on the top of the building, just like elisa lamb and that is the cause of now in the movie they're paranormal dark water problems, but just like in i mean it's it's literally it, it, i mean you can't you can't make this shit up like it's so similar
0: And it's based on a Japanese story and movie, right? Right,
2: right. it's based on... uh, There was a Japanese novel, and I'm going to totally murder this (laughs) Japanese, but it's called Honogurai Mizuno Sokokara by Koji Suzuki. And it was made into a film in 2002 um, in Japan by Hideo Nakata. And in English, the name Honogurai Mizuno Sokokara... So, means from the bottom of the dark water. So for American audiences, they just shortened it to dark water. Um, so...
0: So is it possible she read this book, saw this movie, saw the American movie? Maybe. And like, maybe she was influenced by that somehow. Because like for me, I wouldn't even know there's a water tank on top of a hotel I'm staying.
2: But how does she... That's the well, thing. I know. Like, How I,
0: does she know? Like, how I does would she never even think... There? I'm gonna go to the water tank on the roof. Yeah. Like I, th- I think water just comes from pipes. Like I don't know. I don't think there's a this water tank. W- this up is this is one
2: case where I totally don't buy a mundane explanation.
0: That's weird.
2: I don't buy like That's
0: more than a coincidence.
2: There, there's no evidence that she that, that she ever saw dark water that she right. owned that. But like because people have people have made this connection.
0: I never saw this movie.
2: People have made this connection prior to us. That you know we found out because of the documentaries and stuff um but yeah there's no evidence that she was even aware of this film um and the synchronicity in, involved in this is just so off the wall now and and I'll get into this because I'm a believer that people who artists people who create art creative types sometimes can tap into Mentally, another dimension. I totally, totally believe that Mm -hmm. there are cases throughout history of artists seeming to be Mm precognitive, that they can somehow anticipate or foresee future events. There are other stories of films, and and that could be its own episode. Other stories of films and television shows. That seem to. I mean, the most famous one currently is The Simpsons. The, how The Simpsons seem to uh, consistently predict future events. So, I'm wondering if somehow, the. I mean, and and you're talking about it would have to go all the way back to 2002, when uh, Koji Suzuki writes his book, um, that that leads to then. Uh, You know, three years later, the American film being made.
0: Um, But then them choosing those names.
2: Oh yeah, to choose exactly because yeah, their names aren't their names aren't Dolly and Cecilia in the original Japanese. Mm -hmm. Not uh, not anywhere close. Yeah. So that's the thing. Even then, the so you got Koji Suzuki writes this story about a little girl in a water tower on top of a building and haunting these people and he it goes from there to then the american filmmakers somehow it's it's as if the narrative like you wouldn't talk about a curse it's as if the narrative is cursed mm-hmm. that this story is cursed that that somehow everybody involved in this uh in this kind of through line of the Japanese story to the American film to Elisa lamb it it's it's like the universe is like putting like thumbtacks oh, yeah. and like like hitting all these beats mm-hmm. to 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 do what to connect to what I don't know but it it makes you stand up and go what is going on here what what other? forces are at work it's just it's just too it's beyond coincidence and that's where you get into synchronicity it's beyond coincidence and one thing i noticed when we were watching the movie and this is what i wanted to talk about about the the hotel staff because the movie has as a a backdrop a subtext to it uh this theme of apathy Uh, uh, an unwillingness to take time to really assist someone who's in distress or who may obviously need help, whether the issues are real or imagined. In the movie, the mother, Dahlia, you know, she consistently is trying to get people to do things to help her and her daughter. She's trying to be a good mom. She's trying to make a safe space for for her daughter, um, she's trying to to keep her safe, and at every turn, uh, which which uh, in two thousand five kind of you know came uh, way before the you know the all the different uh, social justice movements that have come up, but she keeps going to these men. I noticed that too, that they were all men. So whoever was like, of course. whoever the writer on this was also kind of pre-cognitively mm-hmm. um, realizing like themes that were coming down the road, you know, later of, you know, women going, she's going to these men and these men just don't give a shit. These men just don't take the time. Like they can't be bothered. Um. And And here's one of the things that that kind of got me. So when Elisa Lam goes missing, like, yes, the LAPD puts like 18 detectives on this and everything else. Well, the same year that, that she goes missing, 2013, there was something that most people I'm sure have forgotten now, but there was the Christopher Dorner murder spree. This was a former LAPD cop who got bounced out of the department. Because he had some some issues, he probably very 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 probably was experiencing massive PTSD because he had been in the military, he had been um, called back to active duty during you know the conflicts at the time, and and he probably was having some mental issues of his own, and so then he gets back, he has trouble kind of reassimilating back into the police department that he had been part of before he went into service, and he gets bounced out. They let him go, and so he decides to take revenge on the LAPD, the Riverside PD, which is right outside of LA, he, and he starts killing cops, killing cops where they live in some cases, uh, shooting them in their vehicles and whatnot, and so uh, the LAPD goes on, goes bonkers, like they want this guy so bad they pull all but four detectives off of the Elisa Lamb case. So, which one of the detectives who's in the Netflix documentary about this says straight up, absolutely hamstrung our investigation. We really needed all those detectives working on this to look at it from every possible angle. And he goes, when it went from 18 to four, we we were kind of screwed. Right. Um, And so this idea that they just kind of like let this shit go like that the apathy and the lack of care the lack of concern and it starts with the hotel staff
1: oh for sure
2: um because i I found there's a um, the manager of the hotel the former manager is in the netflix documentary but i also found an esquire article from uh february 10th 2021 uh where they interviewed her a, you know, because the documentary had come out and she agreed to do an interview with Esquire. And when the interviewer asked her, should Elisa Lamb's family have been contacted when uh, after Elisa had made a scene in the lobby or had to be moved to another room because her uh, roommates were complaining about her behavior, um, should someone have tried to reach out to somebody uh, to see if she needed help?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and Amy Price, the former hotel manager who was uh, on duty at the time, who was the hotel manager at the time, said, quote, I mean, we weren't running a hospital, we're running a hotel. I don't think it's the responsibility of somebody that's running a business to confirm that somebody's playing with a full deck of cards. Wow. Which, to an extent, is is she right? Yeah, I mean, is it a business owner's... But, I I mentioned this when we were watching the documentary, in a better hotel, if you had someone who was very clearly suffering from a mental issue, you would at the very least, the front desk would say, if this was at the Biltmore, let's say, up the street, do you need us to call a hospital for you? Do you need us to call other authorities? Like, is there anybody that we can contact that could come and assist you? Mm-hmm.
0: Or maybe they'd just call the police. Do you have family yeah. get this person out of here? Do you like, have family nearby?
2: Wrong with them. Ha- uh, better hotels mm-hmm. would have for the for the interest of this is our guest, and they there may be an issue here, but they're our guest, they're our cl- they're our customer, we're gonna see it, what we can do. Within reason. But at the Cecil, because it's the Cecil, and because of where it is, and what it is, and who's working there. They don't give a fuck about Elisa Lamb. They didn't give a fuck until the cops showed up. Mm-hmm. And were all over their building.
1: Yep.
0: And, but even then, like, when you run the Cecil Hotel, where it is not unusual for bad things to happen, don't you think you would recognize, like, the difference between... Somebody who just leaves something behind and like something that might be a little more suspicious and maybe you'd have to get the cops involved because this isn't the first time you've had to get the cops involved in things.
2: Like
0: you'd think you'd be able to recognize situations where maybe there's something else going on here.
2: This is also the woman who didn't know cops were hunting for some guy in her own building.
1: Well.
2: You know, this is, this is, you know, and they, they asked her then, what is your greatest takeaway from your time at the helm of the Cecil? She said, "Quote, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade." <laughs> well, honey, you made lemonade wow. in that water tower. That's for damn sure, didn't you?
0: Something like that.
2: So now, the reason wow. I the reason I point this out is because, like I said in the in the film, Dark Water.
0: Yeah, very similar. I,
2: I mean, sentiments. it it ends it ends with a guy, the front desk guy, this uh, Mister Vec. Uh. Who literally says at the end of the movie, uh, if if they killed her, that's not my problem,
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Like, he literally was like, because because they they just like her, well, they they assert at the end of the film that he probably found her already knew that she was in the water tank and literally just ignored it because mm-hmm. it's like. I don't I don't want to yeah I don't want to get involved Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I don't want to have to talk to the cops I don't want to have to deal with the management I don't want to have to do anything I'm literally just here like he literally that character in the movie is just working the front desk so that he can keep his free apartment and he's going to do the most the minimal amount of work that he needs to to stay employed there so he can keep his apartment free apartment Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, dead girl not my problem. And that's how the people at the Cecil Hotel treated the people who lived there and stayed there. Overdose, not my problem. Stabbing, not my problem. You know? It was always somebody else's else's problem. And like I said, they didn't give two shit. They they cleaned Elisa Lamb's room up the day. That she goes missing. Mm-hmm. And the cops were dumbfounded. Because they're like, this girl mysteriously disappears, leaves all her belongings. And they're like, you just literally destroyed any evidence we possibly might have had. If something, if foul play had happened to her. Yep. They literally just bagged it all up and stuck it in the storage room. Now, why am I going crazy about this apathy at the Cecil Hotel? Because, and I'm... I know for many people listening, you're going to say, Kyle, you're going out on a limb. I believe that that apathy is an effect from whatever deep forces are going on at that hotel. Mm -hmm. Now, again, not to call the guy out, I'm not going to go Zach Bagans on it. I'm not going to sit here and say it's demons. It's infested with demons. But, whatever dark deep shitty energy is built up in that building that makes people want to go there specifically just to end their lives just to commit su- people checked in just to off themselves
0: right which you can do anywhere which
2: you could do anywhere literally but I, but I think kind of like Lie there kind of like the way the Golden Gate Bridge mm-hmm. a- seems to attract jumpers yeah. I think the Cecil Hotel attracts people who are at the end of their rope
1: mm-hmm.
2: and people who don't care anymore. And I yeah. think it populates, it was populating itself with these people.
1: Yep.
2: Um, and not to go too deep, but I, I went way deep dive. more. Uh, there's more. There's I looked up more stuff than I'm going to even get into on here. But if you go back into the history of Los Angeles from its founding, from the time that the Spanish missionaries were coming in, there used to be a tribe of Native Americans, indigenous people that lived there called the Keech Nation. And when the Spanish missionaries came in and they began to settle uh, California, they literally forcefully baptized and then enslaved the keech to build the first mission and then everyone that came after that in the area there in san gabriel you know which is right nearby and then the the they had a the keech had a village uh, one of their big prominent villages called yanga which was is basically what Los Angeles is now built on top of. They built Los Angeles on top of the Keech village of Yanga. And the Keech were enslaved by the Spanish missionaries. Then, when Mexico declares independence, uh, the, the Mexicans left them landless and destitute, because they, they gave all the land to all these wealthy you know, Spanish guys who had settled Mexico as Los Angeles gets founded and starts getting built up they pass all these laws to force the Keech into being basically uh, these homeless landless destitute people um, you know their society collapsed due to the influx of diseases brought by the colonists uh, they tried to rebel and the rebellions failed and um, you know, and they become homeless. Uh, and then during the new settlement boom, once uh, Mexico cedes the land to the U.S. in 1848, uh, the Keech, who had no land of their own, get fined as a, and arrested just for being who they are and being within city limits. They would do sweeps to pick up, quote, drunken Indians. And... This was the part that amazed me. They would round these people up. They would put them in prison. Um, There were laws passed that said they couldn't even enter the city of Los Angeles without proof of employment. Um, And in 1850, there was passed an Act for the Government and Protection of Indians where Section 14 said, a convicted Indian, now that's their word, Indian, If their bail bonds or fines could be paid by a white person, at that time they shall be compelled to work for that person until they have been determined to have discharged the cost of the fines or bonds. They basically encoded it in the early laws of Los Angeles that if you were a Native American and you were in prison, a white person could come down, pick out however many of the Native American inmates ask how much are all their fines here you go cash money pay them off okay you guys all work for me now and you weren't you were an indentured servant then you were a slave you couldn't leave until that guy said you've paid off your debt to me huh. it's crazy because the the keech basically became a forgotten people there were people who thought the keech were extinct um they're they're more commonly now known as uh, what they call. Gabrielenos but that their original name was Keech and I just have this feeling that you have the the city built on the land of these homeless destitute people and these people have been robbed of everything no one cares about them to the point where they've they're, they've been so forgotten they are believed to be extinct even though they're living among you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, and now, flash forward to modern times, there is an entire section of the city where the law has walled it off with an invisible wall of police where all the homeless, destitute, criminals, desperate people, this is where they all get herded into And are forgotten about. Skid Row becomes a giant oubliette. And at its center is the biggest oubliette. The Cecil Hotel. I'm a believer that... Historically. Spiritually. If you want to get into energy and all that kind of stuff. I believe shit rolls downhill. And... I see a through line from the subjugation and enslavement and uh, f- uh, the the these forgotten Keech Native Americans, indigenous peoples. I see a through line from that to the Cecil Hotel. Totally. And I think, because I believe in synchronicities, I think the universe in a very haphazard, I don't, I don't think there's a plan. I don't think there's like, <laughs> I don't think there's uh, there's really a, uh, a, a road map per se, but it's as if the universe is trying to call attention to this place, this building and this area around it. It's like the universe is trying to call it out. And that's why I think you're seeing the synchronicities show up. Because it's like the universe or the dimension behind the universe is trying to poke through, trying to reach through and say, Hey, look at this. Pay attention. You know, stop doing this to people. Stop forgetting people. Stop being so damn apathetic when someone is very obviously in trouble and needs your help. I think that sometimes, or even many times, that is exactly what liminal spaces are there for. It's for the universe to reach through and try to shake people awake and say, hey, there's more to this whole thing than you know and we don't even have time to explain it all to you but you need to wake the fuck up and see what's going on
1: mm-hmm.
2: that's just me sorry sorry to sorry to preach a little <laughs> bit but that's how i feel
0: i agree <laughs> what you said
2: <laughs> let me let me climb down off my soapbox <laughs> So, I don't know, honey. What do you what do you think of my hot take on the Cecil Hotel and on on the concept of the this particular liminal space?
0: Yeah, I think I think it makes sense. I mean, it I think it's more crazy to think that all of these things happen there just for no reason. <laughs> it's just it's yeah. all a big coincidence. I mean, I don't know. It makes more sense to me that there's something else going on, whatever it is. That's either drawing people to this place, or just uh, it's focusing negative energy, or I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, it, it seems like it has to be more than coincidence. There's yeah. something else at
1: work.
2: I I wish that we could we could tell you all a bunch of like you know horror stories and that there's all kinds of hauntings. But I mean, except for Zach Bagans, I think that nobody else has really reported hauntings at this place. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of—I think he kind of went there because it was a strange place, and and he wanted to try and make something out of it, and you know, see, you know, he wanted to find a haunting there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but it's not like people report, like even, this, yeah. even the even the the former manager Amy Price, for as much of a dipshit as she can be, um, she straight up said she's like, no, I there, I never saw anything paranormal there
1: Right.
2: she said it, it was it was uh, bad enough just to see what was there you yeah, know yeah. The, the reality of the right. place was exactly. bad enough yeah. but she's like no I never I didn't know anybody that ever saw ghosts or had any other paranormal experiences you know while she was working there um, you know but I mean with the general vibe of the staff I mean I don't even know that they would have cared to tell anybody. You know? That's true. That's
1: true. Um,
2: so, yeah. You know, because that's the thing. I mean, if it hadn't have been for where Elisa Lam died, no one would have known what happened to her. Mm-hmm. If it hadn't have been for the water issue, no one would have known. She would have never been... Dis- you know, she could have been stuffed in some odd corner of that place and i doubt anybody would have ever found her
0: yeah but well, we still don't know what happened i mean there is also a theory that someone at the hotel could have been involved if there was foul play and that's why they were so apathetic and that's why they bagged up all their stuff they're trying to cover it up which i mean it doesn't really make sense like why would they care if some dipshit employee killed someone why would they yeah. want to protect them because that's but who- i mean that's maybe that's why the alarm didn't go off and yeah, you know why they bagged up all her stuff. Yeah,
2: that's the alternative theory because they said if she didn't go up the, the um, fire escape... Um,
0: the alarm would have gone
2: Yeah, off. you need a key yeah. to deactivate the alarm to get on the roof. Um, but, I mean, it's very obvious if you see any of the video or pictures from the rooftop, people are getting up there all the time, you know. So it's not exactly the yeah. hardest thing in the world to to get onto the roof... I think one of the people in the documentary, they even just asked one of the security guys if they could go up to the roof, and he keyed him. Right. He put the key in and and let him go out and video the roof, you know. So, uh, you know, there's still a sense, even with all this that's happened, there was still a sense of apathy, you know, at the hotel. Um, Yeah. You know, it's strange. It's really strange. And that's kind of my whole interest in this place because I think... I think that there's uh this is a liminal space where there's there's something at work that is drawing these these people, these desperate people. Uh it it's a like I you know, I think that uh my description of it as an oubliette is is perfect. An oubliette is a place of forgetting. And this is where this is where it seems like everyone, including the people that work there, would rather just forget about the people who come there. you know, mm-hmm. and to me, that is a bit supernatural,
1: yeah
2: you know wh- why? why is this the place it's I would say the same about the the Golden Gate Bridge. Why is that the place that makes people want to go and jump? You know people have described the same experience at Niagara Falls.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know uh, that it people, calls to people, yeah, yeah. I mean, up there, there's oh. stories that it's like got a spirit,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, that that calls you to want to go over the falls or or jump from the the cliffs around it, you know. So, I think this is uh, one of those places, you know, it calls to people who are in a bad spot, you know, or who don't care anymore, you know, workers and guests alike.
0: Yep. Well, I found a short little Reddit story about the Cecil Hotel that I thought we could button things up with.
2: Oh, that sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah.
0: So this is on the Cecil Hotel Reddit, which I didn't know existed, posted by Ram1583. The kids and I, male 39, girl 11, and boy 8, were looking for a burger spot on Sunday, and Google Maps tells me to go to this place that, unbeknownst to me, happens to be connected to the Cecil Hotel. We walked past it because my Google Maps slash cell phone malfunctioned somehow. It stopped giving me voice guidance as we were walking. Never done that before. When I realized we passed the burger spot, I turned around and backtracked. I then realized the place was connected to the hotel, but the burger spot was closed, which Google Maps said was open. While I stood there looking for a different spot, a nice security guard, black male smoking a cigar if that matters, it doesn't, (laughs) appeared from inside the hotel after we were standing there for about a minute and tells me, "'Excuse me, sir, I wouldn't stand here. It's not safe for the children.' Ignorant me thought of the homeless people around and said, "'Oh, because of the homeless people?' "'Because my kids have been plenty exposed to homeless people.' He said, "'No, it's not safe for the kids spiritually.' That was enough to take my kids by the hand and say, thank you, sir, and walk away from that spot. My daughter started complaining about not feeling well, stomach ache that got worse as we got further away. I know this may sound crazy, or not crazy, scary enough, but it is my honest, unaltered experience. Think of it what you will.
2: I'm telling you, there's something there, and I, and I think some people that, that stay there and some people that work there can feel it. There's something strange to that, that space. Yep. So, so that's good enough for me. That makes it a liminal, a liminal space in my book. That rates for liminal Unlimited. Ding ding ding. So, I think uh, we can wrap it up. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, we may touch touch back on this if we find any other uh, interesting stories or anything. Um, and you can tell us what you think. You know, please reach out to us, uh, liminalunlimited at gmail dot com. Um, tell us, uh, if you've had, uh, maybe not a Cecil hotel experience, but maybe you've had a similar experience somewhere else. Maybe you've stayed at a hotel that, that creeped you out and you maybe didn't quite know why, or maybe you've had a straight up haunting, haunted experience at a hotel. Um, you know, reach out to us. We would love to hear the stories. We would love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, we covered this because this, this story draws us, uh, us in. Um, and uh, we would love to hear from you. And if you have any other stories about anything paranormal, anything you would like to, that you would like us to cover, um, you can reach out to us at that Gmail, LiminalUnlimited at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on our Facebook page. Uh, Jenny is the person who monitors the Facebook page more than I do. What, what, So you can reach out to Jenny at the Liminal Unlimited podcast Facebook. Or you can hit us up on Twitter at the liminal unlimited Twitter page Lim and Unlimapod So, uh
0: like us, review us, share us with your friends.
2: Yeah. Yeah, hit hit the like, hit the follow. <laughs> <laughs> hit up a notification, ring that bell. <laughs> so, anyway, um I've enjoyed talking about this. I think this was one of our uh a deep dive for us and I think it uh it's it's Raises a lot of questions and a lot of issues and a lot of thoughts. And uh, Jenny, th- anything else to say? Jenny thing.
1: Jenny
0: thing. said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I think
2: that's it. I'll take that as a no.
0: That's all, folks.
2: So uh, hopefully, we won't see you at the Cecil Hotel anytime, sooner or later. Mm-mm. But we will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. And please, if you or someone you know is having suicidal ideations, a mental health issue, or a problem with substance abuse, please reach out to one of the resources in the description with this episode. Thank you so much for listening.